Just to uh, reiterate, in case we miss some, uh, a very, very warm welcome. It's great to be together today, particularly if you're a guest. We love having guests amongst us. Um, we hope you really enjoy our time together today. If we can help in any way, please feel free to grab anyone with a, a lanyard around their neck or myself or other people who have been uh, leading this morning. If you've got any questions at all, we'd be very happy to help. Or perhaps the person who brought you, if you've come with someone, feel free to ask them. Uh, we do have a, a, a welcome pack. We call it a welcome pack available if you're a guest, uh, which tells you just a little bit about who we are as a church and what we believe as a church. Uh, it's available on the table just to the left as you go out through the door. Please feel free to pick one up. There is also a card you can fill in uh, if you'd like to know more. And if you leave that on the table or give it to one of us as leaders, um, we will get back in touch with you and see how we can help you if you fill that card in. That would be really, really helpful. Um, just one uh, relatively quick announcement before Tom comes to uh, preach. Uh, hopefully on your chairs, every other chair should have one of these leaflets on them. Uh, they're there. I mentioned them last week when I was preaching that we'd be putting them out. Uh, it's just a leaflet to serve you, to help you if you want to give as part of Harvest Church. If you're part of this church and you're not sure how to give, the leaflet is there. You've got all the information about gift aid in there. You've got the information for setting up a standing order or for online giving, uh, both uh, to the general fund, the church general fund, but also to the building fund. And uh, link to that, just to remind us, next Sunday we're going to be having a special uh, building fund offering. Uh, that is uh, what we're looking for in that offering, what we're praying to God for, and we know uh, we need God to intervene on this because it's a big goal, but we want to see our general uh, giving to the building fund, our regular big, uh, giving to the building fund to increase from 4000 per month to 6000 per month. And we're looking for a capital uh, uh, gift, uh, uh, including pledges. We know some people may not be able to give there and then that Sunday, but we'll want to make a pledge that they will want to give capital amount within the following few weeks uh, of £50,000. And that's to help us uh, up the pace of clearing the mortgage we have on this building so that in due course uh, that will also release his finances for other things we're believing God is calling us to for the future as a church. And so please be praying for that. That would be wonderful. Um, I should just also say, do you know, something like this takes a lot of time to produce. Uh, you may look at it and think, oh, that's you know, it's very nice. I just want to acknowledge and uh, thank some people who are involved in that. I'm not sure they're all here, but Steve, thank you so much. Chris Burrell, wherever you are. Steve Tudor-Price, thank you so much. Chris Burrell, I can't see you. Oh, there you are. Thank you so much. Dave Burnham's, you're looking in the wrong direction. Thank you so much. And uh, Ben Wills, who I don't think I've seen this morning. Is he here? No. Uh, they, they've helped put this together. And, uh, you know, the amount of energy and time going into, uh, we're up to, I don't know, a few dozen emails flying around on content and all that sort of stuff. Thank you so much for what you've done on that. We really appreciate it. Okay, we're uh, very privileged to have Tom Williams with us this morning. Tom uh, leads Hope Church Beaconsfield. Uh, it's one of the churches in our family of churches we call Commission. And uh, uh, he's been leading it for a couple of years uh, you all know his father-in-law very well, uh, Chris Justice, who was with us just a couple of weeks ago praying uh, along with Malcolm for Emma and myself as I came into leadership. Um, so can we give him a great welcome as he comes to share God's word with us today, please? Tom, please come and join us. Thank you. Thank you. 
Great. Can you hear me? It's really good to be with you again. I think the last time that I was here was a couple of years ago now. So it's so good to be with you and see many familiar faces and many new faces. And I hope that we're going to have a good time this morning as we look at God's Word together. Uh, I know that you are in a series uh, called Encounters with Jesus. And you're looking at moments uh, in the book of Mark. And I'm going to be continuing on that theme this morning. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to or click to or point to or however you want to do that. Mark uh, chapter 6, where we're going to be based this morning. And we're going to be looking at a story this morning that I think many, many people know. So even if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, so maybe you're just visiting church, maybe this is your first time at church or you have been a few times, I would hazard a guess that you might actually know this story. If you don't, I hope you enjoy it and it's an honour to introduce you to it. Uh, But if you are a Christian, uh, particularly if you grew up in a Christian household or if you are leading a Christian household, you're uh, looking after children and raising them in the faith, you might know this story very well because it's one of those stories that we often teach to children. It's a story that we would often read to children. I've read it to one of my two daughters many, many times. It's one of her favorite stories. I think there's a danger sometimes when we hear stories so often as children, maybe in Sunday school or in school assemblies or however it might be, that we become so used to them as children that we think they might have very little to offer to us as adults. And we can almost skip through them because we know them so well. And actually, I think this story, which is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, is something that can really speak to us at whatever level of our faith whether you feel very new to the Christian faith or whether you've been at this for many, many years, I think this story can speak to us very powerfully. We find it in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. And I'm going to begin reading and at points we'll stop and try to take in what's happening here and what Jesus is trying to teach the people that he's engaging with at this point. So let me read to you, beginning in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Let's just stop there for a moment. I don't really want to focus on this. We'll look in a bit more depth about the following verses. But as I was reading and preparing this week, I found this interesting. I don't know how you are when you're tired and hungry. When I'm tired and hungry, I'm not the best person to be around. And what we hear here is that Jesus and his disciples were tired and hungry. They were going to find a place to rest just by themselves with close friends because they hadn't even had a chance to eat. But because people were so eager to hear from Jesus, they saw where he was going, ran ahead of him and got there. And so Jesus lands in the boat on the shore and sees thousands of people 
in front of him. Now, if that was me, I am not Jesus, you'll be happy to know. But if that was me, I'd say, turn this boat around. We're going to go find another place where we can rest and we can eat before I have anything to do with people. But we see that Jesus' primary motivation at this point was one of compassion. He looks at them and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them because they need to hear his teachings. They need to hear the good news. They need to hear what he's come to do. I think we can learn something from Jesus here. I think often we can be in a place of tiredness. I think often we can be in a place of brokenness. In the few verses just before this one, we hear the story of Jesus' friend, John the Baptist, who's just been beheaded. Jesus may very well have just heard this news. When I hear bad news, when I feel a bit broken, when I feel tired, when I feel weary with what God has called me to do, often I can want to retreat and get away. And often I can look inside myself and say, I don't want to minister to anyone right now. But Jesus saw these people, and he saw sheep without a shepherd. There are many people back home in Beaconsfield for me who are sheep without a shepherd. There are many people here in Alton who are sheep without a shepherd. And we need to be those who are motivated by Christ-like compassion, who say, though I might be tired, though I may be weary, though there may be pain, though there may be brokenness, I'm going to minister I'm going to share the good news. I'm going to look out on people and realize that their need is far greater than my need. I think that's a really important lesson to learn just from these first few verses that we've read together. But as I say, I want to focus maybe on this next bulk of the story and the part of the story that we're perhaps most familiar with. So let's continue to read in verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Stop there for a second. This is Jesus' disciples fulfilling the role that disciples would often fulfill at that time. Jesus wasn't the first people to call disciples. Other leaders, other rabbis had disciples, young men typically who would follow them around. And their primary role was to observe what the teacher was doing, to listen to the teaching, and also to carry out some administrative tasks. And so the disciples are trying to do that here. They're trying to say, Jesus, you may not have noticed, but these people might be hungry, so I think we should send them away to get something to eat. But Jesus' model of discipleship for them and for us is not the same as a kind of simply teaching and listening and observing style of discipleship. Jesus wants to turn that model of discipleship on his head. He wants to say, I don't want you just to learn. I just want you to observe. I don't want you just to sit and to do administrative tasks for me. I want you to do the things that I am doing. I want you to participate in the good news of the gospel that I'm taking to all people. So what Jesus does now in this next verse is ask an incredibly provocative question of these disciples to help them to start thinking that they have something to do. They have a part to play in what Jesus has come to do, his mission here on earth. And we see that question here in verse 37. Jesus answered, 
you give them something to eat. They've come with this logical thing. Jesus, we should send these people away to get something to eat. And he says, no, no, no. Why don't you feed them? Why don't you play your part? Why don't you get involved at this moment in time? Sometimes Jesus will ask an impossible task of us. Whether it's through a direct revelation, maybe you're praying or maybe you're reading the Bible and you start to realize that Jesus is asking you to do something that seems impossible at first. Or maybe it's through the leaders of the church or your Christian friends and family who say, I feel like you should be doing this. And you think that's an impossible task. That's too big for me. This was an impossible task that they had been asked to fulfill. And I think Jesus asks them and asks us at times because he wants us to look at what we've got. Look at our resources. And that's what the disciples start to do in the next few verses. Reading on, it says, They said to him, That would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go? And spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. So this impossible task that Jesus had asked them to do, there's 5,000 men, which means there are many more women and children there. Okay, So they're looking out and they're saying, you've told us to feed these people? So naturally, they look at what they've got. Jesus says, go and find out. Find out how much food there is out there in the crowd. This account doesn't tell us, but they go out and they find a boy with his packed lunch. And they come back and they say, well, there are are five loaves and and there are two fish. Uh, And actually, we can start to think of our loaves and our fish. Maybe you're thinking of big loaves of bread that you buy in the supermarket. Maybe you're thinking of massive fish that you would take a photo with if you caught and send it into an angling magazine. But most commentators would say this is a typical description of a poor family's lunch. Five loaves and two fish. Very small, enough to feed a small family and not much else. The disciples had been forced by an impossible task to look at what they had and say, I simply cannot do this. It's impossible. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. If you've been felt asked to do something and you've thought that's just absolutely impossible. I remember a few years ago now, I thought, I'm, pretty much, I'm out of shape. I'm not in good shape. I know you look at me now and you say, how could that be possible? You are the, pi- that's too much laughter, the pinnacle of human fitness. But actually, no, I was very out of shape a few years ago and I decided I need to do something. I don't know about you, I couldn't just sit there anymore and say, you know, yeah, I'll I'll start exercising. No, I need to sign up for something to force me to exercise. That's what I'm like. So I thought, uh, there's a half marathon in High Wycombe near where I live, six months away. So I signed up for this half marathon. And I thought, if I sign up and start raising money, and I was raising money for a charity, I thought, well, I'm going to have to do it now because people have said they'll give me money if I run it. So I signed up and I thought, you know what, I think I'll be, I think I'll be okay. And I started talking to my dad uh, about it. And my dad is an ex-army man. He was a major in the army and he's also a physical fitness nut. He's run multiple marathons himself. And I told him, Dad, I've signed up for this half marathon. And he looked me up and down and he said, 
that's impossible. <laughs> you're, you're not going to be able to run a half marathon. I said, no, no, no. It's about six months away. I think I can manage it. And he said, you're going to need me to train you. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, if you want to help, that's okay. And he said, 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. <laughs> and I went, yes, sir. And so the next morning I woke up bright and early. It was a cold, cold January morning. And I woke up and I waited outside the house. And my dad came to the house and he said, all right, let's go. And so we started by walking. And I thought, come on, when are we going to get to the serious stuff? When are we going to start actually running? And he said, you're not ready to run yet. I thought, okay. So we started by walking and we were just walking along. We walked a couple of miles. And I was thinking, this is all right. And then uh, my dad came to a point as we were walking. And he said, right, there's about a half mile incline here. Kind of maybe about this, uh, this kind of steepness. That's not a word, is it? This kind of steepness here. And uh, so he said, we're going to jog up this. Just keep pace with me. And I thought, okay, well, that looks fine. So I, he starts to jog, and I start to jog behind him. And I'm thinking, that's okay. But I soon realize, this is harder work than I thought, actually. <laughs> and I'm getting a bit breathless. And my dad is actually making quite a lot of distance away from me at this point. And I'm trying to, trying to keep up and trying to get his attention that maybe he's going a bit too fast. But I'm kind of out of breath already by this point. And I'm trying to keep up and keep up, and I'm getting tired and tired. I'm doing that kind of jogging thing when you're not really moving. Do you know what I mean? You're just, you're just kind of doing this a little bit. And my dad, gets, and my dad gets ahead, and he suddenly realizes that I'm not directly behind him and looks back. And I'm kind of way back here still, kind of still kind of jogging and breathless and trying to get my breath back and resting on whatever I can find. And what had happened in that moment at the start of the incline is that my dad had asked me to do something that was physically impossible for me. I just couldn't do it. There was no way with the resources that I had that I could do what had been asked of me. It was physically impossible. And that can be quite a demoralizing thing. Sometimes if we're asked to do something that we look at, and we look at the resources that we have, we look at the stuff that we have at hand, and we say, that's impossible. I can't do it. That can be quite a demoralizing thing. But sometimes it's still things that Jesus asks us to do. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you may have experienced this. You may have experienced times where Jesus has asked you to do the impossible. Maybe through revelation, maybe through reading your Bible, you've realized that Jesus is asking you to do something. And you thought, Jesus, that's impossible. Or maybe church leaders have stood up here and said, this is what God is calling us as a church to do. Maybe Andrew stood up here a couple of weeks ago and said, this is how much giving we're called to do. And you thought, that's impossible. That's impossible. I can't do it. You look at yourself. I looked at my fitness and I thought, I can't run up that hill. The disciples looked at five loaves and two fish and thought, we can't feed 5,000 plus people. You look at yourself. You look at your resources when Jesus asks you to do something and you say, that's impossible. I just can't do it. There's absolutely no way. I wonder what it is that Jesus is asking you to do. Maybe you haven't even become a Christian yet. But you feel Jesus calling you. You're starting to fall in love with Jesus and all the good things that you're hearing about him. And you feel Jesus calling you to him, but you think, Jesus, I've done so much in my life, I'm not sure if you'd really love me if you heard about those things. 
I'm not sure that there's really forgiveness for me. I'm not sure if I can really be like all these other people I see who seem to have a thriving relationship with Jesus. I just don't know about that. That's impossible. Or maybe you feel like you're a Christian and you feel like Jesus is calling you to do something quite radical. You feel like Jesus is calling you to lead in a particular way, in a particular ministry. Maybe you feel like Jesus is calling you to be involved in church planting. And you think, that's impossible. I couldn't possibly do that. Or maybe what Jesus is calling you to doesn't seem that big to other people, but to you it's massive. Maybe you feel like Jesus is calling you to share the gospel with your neighbor. Maybe you feel like Jesus is asking you to invite someone that you work with to an alpha course. You might say that to other people and you might think they wouldn't think that's that big, but for you that's massive. You think, I, couldn't, I can't do that. Every time I try to speak to somebody about my faith, I just get all choked up. I can't do it, Jesus. What if they think of me like this? What if I talk to my school friends about it and they start to think of me like that? Jesus, I can't do that. Sometimes Jesus asks us to do things and we look at ourselves and we say, that's impossible. All I've got is five loaves and two fish. That's impossible. But I think Jesus wants us to get to that point. I think Jesus is asking the disciples at this particular moment, if they'll feed these people with five loaves and two fishes, because they want to get to this point where they say, that's impossible. We need somebody to help us. And that's when they look to Jesus. And that's when we see these next few verses, beginning in verse 39, with these two words that I think are so wonderful. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. I've said already the only number that the Bible gives is the number of the men, which means that the women and the children who were also there would have added thousands more to that number. And all of those people ate and were satisfied. What looked impossible at first to the disciples as they looked at their own resources became possible because of those wonderful two words that we read at the start of verse 39, then Jesus. These are key words when it comes to impossible tasks, then Jesus. These are key words in the life of these disciples. In fact, I think these two words are a nice little summary of the disciples' life with Jesus up until this point. Then, Jesus. The disciples who say, look, I was just mending my nets by the seashore. And then Jesus came along and caught me up in this wonderful mission of his. We were just walking around and there was this man called Jairus who came and said that his daughter was sick. And we went to his house. And when we were in his house, the people came and said that, don't bother Jesus. Your daughter's already dead. Then Jesus. 
told this little girl to wake up. And she did. These two words, then Jesus, define the disciples' experience with Jesus. We were spending time with Mary and Martha, and they were talking about how their brother Lazarus had died, and they were upset, and they were sad, and they were depressed. But then Jesus called them over. Then Jesus called to Lazarus, and he came out of the tomb. These Wonderful words, then Jesus, are key when we approach impossible tasks. These two words should be the two-word story that define our own life, our own experience. As we are called to impossible tasks, as Jesus asks us to do things for him, and we look at the things that we've got and say, this is impossible. I can't do it. All I've got is five loaves and two fish. It's absolutely impossible. But then, Jesus. One of the most powerful experiences for the disciples came after Jesus had left and gone to the right hand of the Father. Just before Jesus died, he spent the night with his disciples. And you can read about it in many places in the Gospels. In particular, one of my favorite moments is John chapter 14. And in this passage of scripture, we get this moment where Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to go. I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise again, and then I'm going to go. I'm going to go to be with my father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the disciples, understandably, start to say, Jesus, you can't go. Jesus, our whole life has been defined by you. These last three years have been the most wonderful experience we've ever gone through. Jesus, you can't go. How can you leave us? What are we going to do if you leave us? How are we going to live if you leave us? And Jesus says to them, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to send the helper to be with you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. Elsewhere, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit of Jesus to be with you. One of the most powerful then Jesus moments for the disciples comes After Jesus has died and rose again and ascended to be with his Father in heaven, they're huddled in an upper room on the day of Pentecost. And they're there talking to one another and they're saying, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do what Jesus has asked us to do? How are we going to go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel? How are we going to do this? It's impossible. Then Jesus. Then Jesus came. What we celebrate as we look back on the day of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit came. You can find the account in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came to live in these disciples. The Spirit of Jesus came to live in them. And I think in that moment, as they were filled with the Spirit, they would have looked at one another and said, this is Jesus again. Now we can do these things again. Now the things that we've been called to do. Now the life that we've been called to live. Now the impossible task that we saw Jesus do can be done again because this is Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us. He's here again with us. So we can do these things. So the impossible tasks are no longer impossible because Jesus has come to live in each and every one of us by his Holy Spirit. A pivotal moment for the disciples and a pivotal moment that's promised for each and every one of us as well. A moment when each and every one of us can recognize that we're not called to do this thing called life on our own. 
We're not called to fulfill the tasks that Jesus has called us to on our own. These things that we're asked to do, these things that we feel Jesus calling us to, whatever those impossible tasks may be in your life, maybe you feel like it is coming to Jesus. Maybe you're not even a Christian yet, and you're saying, but I don't know that I can do that. All the things I've done, you're saying Jesus will forgive all of those sins. Yes, he does. And he comes and lives in you by the power of his spirit. His salvation and his forgiveness is promised for each and every one of us. Maybe you're a Christian, you're following Jesus, you're feeling like he's calling you to share the gospel with people, and you think that's impossible. Yeah, by yourself it is, but with the Holy Spirit inside you, can give you the courage that you need, the faith that you need, the words that we so often lack. The Holy Spirit can do that in us. Maybe it's as we look at the things that the church is calling us to do. Give in to the building fund. Give in to the things that Andrew was just talking about. And we say, that's, that's impossible. I couldn't possibly do that. All I have is five loaves and two fish. All I've got is this in my bank account. I can't possibly do it. It's impossible. But Jesus comes. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit giving us the gift of generosity. And the Spirit of Jesus providing for us in everything that we need as we give generously to him. All of these things that we feel we are being called to by Jesus, that we feel are impossible tasks, we need to have a then Jesus moment where we look to him and say, Jesus, by your spirit, would you come and give me courage? Jesus, by your spirit, would you come and give me faith? That even though this task seems impossible to man, it is possible with you. Just as it was possible to feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, Jesus can do anything through us by the power of his spirit. And you might say, well, you don't know me. I'm still too weak. I'm still too foolish. I'm still too powerless. If you feel that way about the things that Jesus might call you to do, then you're in the perfect place. I think Jesus asked the question of the disciples because he wanted them to realize, I'm too weak. I can't do it on my own. I think Jesus wants us to get to that place before he uses us. One of my favorite passages in scripture is from the book of 1 Corinthians at the end of chapter 1. I absolutely love this. It says this beginning in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, Holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God wants us to recognize our foolishness before him. God wants us to recognize our weakness before him. God, these things you've called me to are impossible on my own. I can't do them on my own. I'm weak. I'm foolish. I'm the despised things of this world. If any of us happens to think that we're here by our own merit... If any of us happens to think that when God calls us to things, he says, oh, he's called the right person because I can do this. 
I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. God calls us to these impossible tasks so that we might look at our weakness, our frailty. We might look at ourselves and say, I'm not, I'm not of noble birth. I'm not special. Nobody thinks I'm amazing. No, God does. God loves you. God cares for you. And God wants to use you to do incredible, amazing things by the power of his spirit. And our response must be, God, yes, I realize I'm weak. I realize I'm foolish. I realize I'm nothing, really. But God, by your spirit, would you come and make me something for you? Would you make it possible for me to go into these impossible tasks with courage? Maybe you feel a bit like the disciples might have felt or Jesus might have felt. As he came off that boat and saw 5,000 people, he said, Jesus, I'm weak. Jesus, I haven't got much in my tank. I don't know if I can do this. And God needs to, by his Holy Spirit, fill you with that Christ-like compassion that says, no, I'm going to go again for his mission, for his glory, for the sheep without a shepherd. I'm going to go again. I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to share the love of Christ with these people. I'd love us, if possible, I'd love to, to pray for you guys. Is that all right? I think we've got a, a bit of time still left. I wonder if maybe the band could come back up. Is that all right? Thank you. It's Jonathan, isn't it? I had a, I just, it, was, it was wonderful. In the first song that we sang this morning, I was standing right there and... Um, I think it was your wife who walked past and had one of your little girls in, in her arms. And she was right behind my ear. And she just yelled, Daddy. And that was wonderful. And I felt that was a really prophetic moment, actually, in which we saw a little girl who just wanted to come and see her dad. I thought that was wonderful. And they came up here and they just wanted to get to you. And kudos for you for letting them get to you. Just brilliant. I'm a church pastor and sometimes my kids come up to me while I'm doing stuff and I feel really embarrassed by that. And I say, Elise, God, just come back to your mom. What will these people think, you know? But you just wanted your girls to see you. God's our father. God's our father. And Jesus doesn't ask you to do these impossible things and then say, go on, get on with it. He asks you to do impossible things and then says, well, come to me. Come to your heavenly father. Come to your daddy. My arms are open for you. My Holy Spirit's here for you. I want to pour out lavishly on you as a gift. I want to give you the strength and the courage to go into the impossible task. I want to equip you with the gifts that you need. I think that was a wonderful moment in which we saw a child's love for their dad. And as we approach our heavenly father, we can say, I want to come to my dad. I want to come and ask him for the Holy Spirit. I want to come and ask him for the good gifts that he's got for me so that I can go into these impossible tasks with confidence. Maybe you'd stand with me if you feel comfortable doing that. And uh, Andrew, I don't know exactly how you want to do this or if you want to come up. Or... Okay. Okay, wonderful. I just wonder whether we could take a moment to come before our Heavenly Father whose arms are open wide for us. Jesus, who promised the gift to his disciples, John chapter 14, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to send the helper to be with you. And I wonder just in this moment, as the band begins to play, whether we could just 
bring our impossible tasks before God. The things that we feel he's called us to. Whatever it may be for you. Maybe it's something that's just sat on your heart forever. I know that I should share the gospel, but it's impossible. I know that I, I, know that I should give that, but it's just impossible. I know that I should... I know that I should pray for that person for healing, but it's just impossible. I can't do it. Maybe it's something that's new for you this morning. You felt that God has asked you a provocative question, just as he asked the disciples. You feed them. Maybe you feel God saying something to your heart. You lead that. That thing that you keep thinking, someone needs to lead that. You lead that. That area of town which is out of bounds. You go there. You share the gospel there. That family member, you go to them. That family, you feed them. We've all got these, haven't we? Impossible tasks. This is a moment just to come before the Father, our Dad who loves us, who doesn't shoo us away, who says, come to me. I want to give you the gift of the Spirit. A then Jesus moment. It was impossible, but then Jesus came and empowered me, came and equipped me, came and gave me courage. Just as the band plays, just want to encourage us. Bring your impossible tasks before God, the things you feel him asking you to do. now, Jesus, we ask that you would send your spirit amongst us to help us realize that nothing is impossible for you, to satisfy our hunger and our longing. Jesus, send your spirit amongst us to give us the gifts that we need to carry out the tasks you've asked of us. Send your spirit amongst us. Feel for some just as talk.